Last week we started a new series in the Gospel of Luke titled, There's Something About Jesus. And um, even from the story of the birth of Jesus, we see that there's something just different, something significantly different about who Jesus is. And one of the things that we learned last week was that he was fully God, but he's also fully human um, on, during his time on earth. And today, we're going to see how this plays out. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 1 to 13, and we'll get to that passage very soon. Today, we're going to talk about temptation. The word temptation is defined, the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Now, some of you might be like, that's just the story of my life. I just live in temptation. And I think that's true. I think for many of us, the word temptation is such, it's so embedded in our lives that sometimes we, we don't even think about whether we're being tempted or not. But we're going to really look at what, what it is to be tempted. Now, the temptation, the word temptation is the desire to do something, not the action to have done something. Very different, right? Um, it's a desire to do something, and it's a desire to do something that is wrong or unwise. Now, in the context of our faith, in the context of God, temptation is the desire to do something that God does not want. So that's the definition, right? From a Christian's perspective, temptation is a situation in which one experiences a challenge to choose between faithfulness or unfaithfulness to one's obligation toward God. It's a desire to do something that God would not desire for you. Now, when we talk about temptation, and I, it was quite fun thinking about this, have you ever noticed that we're never tempted to do good things? Um, it's not like we sit there and we stare at this cucumber and we go, oh man, should I eat that cucumber? Should I not eat that cucumber? And there's this internal struggle, right? There's this like, oh my God, like, should, I, should I touch it? Should I not touch it? doesn't happen. But it happens with donuts. <laughs> happens with McDonald's. Happens with KFC, right? We struggle, but we never really, you know, desire to eat healthy things, right? Or what about like, you know, for, for the students, right? Or, you know, we were all students once. You know, the desire to study extra the temptation to study even longer than what we need. Like your mom's like, you need to, you need to go to sleep now. And you're like, but I really, really want to study one more hour. Ooh, should I be disobedient to my mom and really study hard? It's not like that. It's funny, right? It's funny. And, it's, and then you bring it into the, 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 the face circle. Have you ever noticed that we're never tempted to do good and holy things. Like, you finish church, 
10 30 11 30 12 and 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 your friend has a church at two o'clock and you're like should i should i go to two services today should i go to two churches today or like you open your wallet to give offering and there's a 50 dollar note and a 10 dollar note and you go should i give all $60, you know, should I give more? Would, would people judge me if I give more, if I'm more generous? It's funny, right? It's always the other way around. Temptation is a word that we really need to understand because it is so embedded in each, into each and every one of us. And today, what we're going to look at in Luke 4 is firstly, we're going to see Jesus and how Jesus dealt with temptation. Now, from the passage we read last week in Luke 1 and 2, where Jesus was born and, you know, he's a little baby, we're in Luke 4. And what happens is we jump 30 years, right? It's like a Korean drama, 30 years on, right? And we see that we rejoin the life of Jesus in chapter 3 and 4 when Jesus is 30. In chapter 3, we see Jesus get baptized by John the Baptist, and we now join the story in chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, or the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, there's a few things that we need to understand about the context of this passage before we go into the temptations. Jesus spends 40 days in, a temp, uh, in the desert where he was tempted by the devil. Now, a lot of times when we read this passage and, and we're going to see the three big temptations, we think that Jesus was in the desert and he was there for 40 days. And then on the 39th day, the devil tempted him, one, two, three, and then he was fine. But no, the, the scripture actually says for 40 days, for the full 40 days he was tempted. So don't underplay the temptation. Uh, secondly, and this is just what the scripture says, right? He ate nothing during those 40 days. And the Bible tells us something that is very important for us to understand about Jesus. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. He was hungry. Now, this is important. This is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It shows us that the humanity of Jesus was as real as it was for us. He didn't eat for 40 days and he was hungry. Now, if it said he didn't eat for 40 days and he was fine, you go, mm, he's probably not. That, that's not fully human, right? 40 days didn't eat and the Bible, it, it is so important for us to know that it is written in the Bible that he was hungry. And I'm like, praise the Lord, it's not just me. It's not just me. Like I, I was sick a few weeks ago and I didn't eat for four days. And honestly, during the four days, I wasn't hungry because I was sick. But at the end of it and the week after, like I lost four Ks that week and then I gained six. It's a problem. All right, it, this is a problem. It's, the balance is not shifted, right? I was, like the week after when I, when I got better, it was like I felt like I needed to make up for the four days that I didn't eat. I was so hungry. But the beauty of it is, Jesus was just like us. 
didn't eat. I was hungry. It's really important for us to understand this because it shows us the humanity of Jesus. And this is going to become more important as we go through temptation. <laughs> 40 days he was tempted over and over and over again. And, and that's really a picture of our lives. As believers, we live in a world where temptation is every single day. Some of you, even right now, are tempted. Tempted to pretend to go to the bathroom and just go home. Tempted, you know, tempted to ignore the person next to you because you don't know what their name is. You know, tempted to not listen to me and consider about, you know, what are you going to eat for lunch, right? I know that. I'm not judging you. I know that. God knows as well, okay? So we live in this, but the beauty is we need to understand that Jesus went through the exact same thing. The Son of God gets hungry. He became like one of us with all of our limitations and temptations. And so here's one thing you need to understand is when you're going through your life and you're going through temptation and you're thinking no one understands what I'm going through, no one understands what I'm going through, Jesus does because he lived this life. He knows. He knows exactly what you're going through. Now, Luke will then go on to tell us about the three temptations that uh, Jesus went through. Now, even though it was 40 days of temptations, Luke records three temptations. And these three temptations are really important for us to understand because most of the temptations that we go through actually get categorized in these three categories. And what's really interesting is something that we learn about the devil, and, and I know we don't really speak about the devil, but the devil is as real as you and I, but the devil is not very creative. The devil is, is, he's, not, he's not really, I think, outside the box kind of character. And what we're going to see is the three temptations that the devil brings before Jesus is the same three temptations that were brought before Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to see that parallel, and then we're going to show you that it exists in your life as well. Okay? The first temptation of it is this. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. Luke chapter 4, verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The first temptation, the category of temptation is our physical needs. It's our physical needs. Food, drink. Rest, but even things like pleasure, sex, all these things that build into our physical needs is the first category of temptation. Jesus didn't eat for 40 days, so he would have been physically depleted. Is, is eating a sin? No. Is turning bread, uh, rock into bread a sin? No, that's amazing. That's a miracle, Right? So why was it such a bad thing for the devil to tempt Jesus to say, hey, if you're hungry, turn this bread uh, stone into bread? The temptation is this. Do what you feel and what makes you feel good now. That's the temptation. Right? We go back to Genesis. Right? When the snake is tempting Adam and Eve. Now, the key verse is Genesis 3, verse 6, and we're going to break it up into three. And the first part of the verse is this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Right? And that's the key verse. 
good for food. Same thing, right? The idea of food being nourishment, fulfilling our physical needs, rather than obedience and faithfulness to God. This is the first temptation. When we choose to feed our fleshly desires, and when it becomes a priority over God's will and over God's plan for our lives, they it, it causes us to forget God because it becomes about what I need and I need it now. Now, the temptation is not sin. And I'm going to keep telling you this, right? The temptation is not sin, right? Because the temptation is the desire. But the action on the temptation becomes sin. And the sins that come from the temptation of the lust of the flesh are sins like gluttony, so that's that overeating, right? Gossip, right? The need for, for just, you need to know what's going on. Adultery, sexual immorality, substance abuse. This is what happens when we give into the temptation of the lust of the flesh. Okay? So that's the first one. Lust of the flesh. Second temptation is the lust of the eyes. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 to 7. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. The second temptation is the lust of the eyes. The desire to possess what we see or what is visually approving, visually appealing. The devil says, takes him up to this big place and says, look at this beautiful place. Look at this beautiful place. This is mine. You can have it. You can have this beautiful thing. Worship me and I'll give it to you. To covet, that's what it is to want something that you don't have, to want something that is not yours, a desire for these things. It could be money, it could be possessions, it could be other physical things that is not God. That's what it means to covet. Covet is the sin that comes from the temptation of the lust of the eyes. You see something, okay, that's a temptation, but for you to proceed to get it, right, and that desire to want that more than wanting God, that then becomes the sin. Now, do not covet one of the, to- the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. Do not covet. Now, let's go back to Genesis 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, right? Lust of the eyes, right? They're looking at the fruit, and not only did they think, wow, that's going to be tasty, but man, that looks good. So much of our temptations come from what we see. But so much of what we see is harmful, and not helpful. And we're drawn to this temptation because it is visually stimulating. What has made it even worse for us in our society is social media and the internet. You know, back in the day, you didn't know 
You didn't know what the man in Nepal in his little cottage was eating for dinner. You didn't know, but now you do. And now you want that. You didn't even know what existed. You know, back before even like cities happened, everyone just lived in their own little town. You didn't even know. You didn't know that the girls were prettier in that village. You just didn't know, right? You, you, you just, you thought everyone was, you know, 100 kilograms. You didn't know there were skinny people around the world. You just, you thought you were the skinniest, right? And then suddenly, bangs, social media appears. You're like, oh my God, I'm not skinny. I'm not pretty. Look at that beautiful person, right? This is the lust of the eyes. And it's not even just about I want possession and I want money, but it's wanting even things like looks, status. For some, the problem is the lust of the eyes, the temptation of the lust of the eyes literally becomes their life. And they give into that temptation and they will go to all lengths to have what they see because what they see is good. This is the lust of the eyes. That's the second temptation. The third temptation is called the pride of life. Luke chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The final temptation is the pride of life. That is the temptation to be your own God. The temptation to be significant. The temptation to be a somebody. The devil tempts Jesus and says, Hey, show us something spectacular. If you're the son of God, then jump off this building and we're going to see all these angels deliver you. Wow. And everyone's going to be like, wow, you really are the son of God. People will applaud you. People will worship you because you are amazing. That's the temptation. Do something because that will make you amazing. Do something and people will acknowledge and worship you. The pride of life is anything that exalts us above who we really are to make us feel like we're bigger and better to the point, and the most extreme of it is, I am like God. That's how amazing I am. The temptation of the pride of life, when acted upon, can lead to sins of arrogance, pride, boasting. I am better than you. I am better than everyone. I am better than God. That's the pride of life. Now, let's go back to Genesis 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. If we just pause at the story of Adam and Eve, God told Adam and Eve, do not eat the fruit of this tree. Do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Think about it. You eat the tree, you eat the fruit, and you gain wisdom. You gain the wisdom to work out what is good and what is evil. Right? 
What's the sin? It's not just the sin of disobedience that God said, don't do that, and then I'm going to do that. But the sin was Eve went, I want to be like God. I want to know what is good and evil. Because before they ate the fruit, who determined what was good and evil? God did. How did Adam and Eve know what good and evil was? God told them. God defined it. God's standard. And Eve's like, wait a minute. I can work this out myself. I can be like what? Like God. And so she eats. It's not just disobedience of not doing what God said, but it's saying, I don't need you, God. I'm going to do, I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to be my own God. See, before they sinned, it was God's standard. God made the calls. And yet after, they put it on themselves. The desire to be God, the desire to gain wisdom, the pride of life led them to sin. Three sins. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Our security, our identity, and our significance. Most, if not all, of the temptations that you and I face fit in those three categories. And the reality is this. No one is exempt from being tempted. And if we're honest, we're all pretty good at falling to these temptations. But friends, let me tell you again, temptation itself is not a sin. But it's when we act upon that temptation, that's when the sin comes. Our inability to control ourselves, our inability to say no, our inability to make the right decisions, that's when we sin. And that's what leads us away from God and not towards God. That's our reality. We are sinful. Let's just call it what it is. No one's sitting here. I don't see no halos here. I don't see no you know, angel wings in this room, right? We're all sinners. We all fall to temptation. We fall, actually, some of us are really good at falling into temptation because you don't even know it's a temptation anymore. You just think it's real life. We're all sinful. But what about Jesus? And this is something that we, we forget. Like so many times when we read the Bible, we want to make it about ourselves, but you've got to read this story. It's not about you. Like, we learn things from it. We learn things to apply from it, but understand the actual story. The story is about Jesus. So the devil is tempting Jesus for 40 days through these sins over and over again. But Jesus, even though he was tempted like all of us, is different. Because even though he was tempted, he did not sin. The devil turn, says, turn the stone into bread and indulge your physical needs, the lust of the flesh. And yet Jesus replies, Luke 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Quoting the Old Testament. Jesus says, hey, I don't need, I don't need to, to fulfill the, my physical needs. That is not my greatest need. My greatest need is God and God alone. We believe that God will provide for our physical needs. We don't need to fulfill them ourselves. They are not our God. They are not worthy of our worship. I'm not going to do a miracle to worship myself. Only God deserves that. And so Jesus repels the first temptation. Second temptation, devil says, you can have all these beautiful things. Just pay the price. 
Bow down and worship me, and I can give you everything that your eyes desire. Lust of the eyes. And yet Jesus replies in verse 12, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Meaning that I, sorry, Luke 8, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus says, there is nothing that I can see or I can visualize that is worth the worship that only God deserves. There is nothing on earth that is worth more than God himself. Jesus says that there is nothing that is of value that is greater than our God and repels the temptation again. Thirdly, devil says, hey, do something supernatural and you're going to be insta-famous. You're going to be super famous. You're going to, like, people are going to worship you. You're going to get so many likes, so many shares, so many comments. Just Jump off, do the spectacular. And Jesus replies, this is now verse 12. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Meaning, I don't need to be God because I have a God. I don't need to do something spectacular and prove myself because I worship a God who is already spectacular and I worship him. He is my God, always will be. He's secure in his identity and his significance. What makes Jesus the same as us is that he was tempted just like us. He was hungry just like us. He had the same physical limitations just like us. And yet what makes him different from every single human being that ever lived on earth is that he never sinned. He never sinned. He never fell to the temptation of the enemy. Hebrews 4.15 summarizes this so beautifully. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. This is what makes Jesus phenomenal. That he was just like us, and yet he was so different to us. The fact that he didn't sin and overcame the temptation is just truly amazing. But at the same time, the fact that he can empathize, understand you, that's what makes him God. There are two take-homes, I think. Number one, Jesus is truly amazing. We need to understand that there's something that makes Jesus different from everyone. Like, we're going to see it over and over again as we study his life. But, you know, to walk, you know, to, to not eat for 40 days, walk past the McDonald's and not even flinch, that's pretty amazing. You know, to be, to be tempted in the core of who he was and yet for him to resist the temptation because he was so secure in who he was and who God was. It's amazing. Jesus just knew. He just knew that what God had to offer was a lot more than what the temptations had to offer. Secondly, we need to understand that good, good things come from God. It's impossible to say, hey, just live like Jesus. Hey, resist all temptation. That's ridiculous. We can't do it. I can't do it. I was joking, right? Like, I was thinking about what example I should use to show you that we are all tempted and all sinful. And I, I was looking at myself in the mirror and I went, well, there you go, right there. Is this the body of someone that resists temptation? I don't think so. Right? I can walk past four food outlets and visit all four. I'm very consistent and faithful, right? 
it would be ridiculous for me and unrealistic for me to be like, hey, go live like Jesus. Don't, don't be tempted. Just don't be tempted. How hard could it be? You know, that's, that's someone that has never been tempted in their life, which is ridiculous. And they're just lying, right? Doesn't exist. You know what? We can't. We can't. That's just our reality. We just have to accept that. We can't. 1 John 2, 15 to 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, listen carefully, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. You thought I made up those categories, right? They're biblical. Here's the thing about temptation. Temptation is not sin. I keep telling you this. Temptation is not sin, but temptation is not good. It's not like, you know, temptation is something that you want to flirt with, where it's like, oh, you know, like I could just hang out, you know, like let's get as close to the line, you know, and, and this is what always we, we think about, right, with temptation and our faith. How close can we get to the line without crossing it and be okay? And so many of us have that mentality in our lives, in our faith, is here's the temptation, here's the line of desire and action. How close can we float with this line? How, how close can we get to that line without still being a sin? You know what's funny? Our priority, even in that statement, is how far can I push God away? How far can I run away from God and still be known by God? Right? Now, think of it in a marriage setting, right? Right? To be faithful. We're called in marriage. We're called to be faithful to our spouses, right? We're called to be faithful to the one person that, that you know, you've covenanted yourself, you've promised yourself to. You know how ridiculous it is if I was like, okay, how far can I play with the line of sexual immorality and adultery with still being married? You know, like, can I talk to girls? Can I hang out with girls? Can I hang out one-on-one? Like, if we don't touch each other, is that still okay? You know, like, you know, like, if we're naked, is that still okay? You know, we didn't have sex, you know, like, is that okay? You know how ridiculous that sounds? You know how offensive that sounds to my wife? How offensive that sounds to the relationship that I have with my wife. If I love my wife, which I very much do, if I love my wife, right, and you know the fellowship time question, what's the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen right there? Thank you very much. I know, I know. Thank you. I, I even wrote that in my notes, just, just in case I didn't forget, right? Right? You know how sick that sounds in what we were meant to be a healthy marriage? Is how far and how much can I get away with without actually committing adultery? And yet we do that to God. You know, what the, you, know, you know what the attitude needs to be around temptation? It's the other way. How far away can I get from this line? How far away can I get away from this line so that I'm not even close to it? Right? How far away? And so there are things, there are practical things that you can do. There are, you know, you know like I said, the, the three, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There are ways that you can make what they call pre-decisions. Pre-decisions. You make decisions before you even get there to avoid even getting close to that temptation. Right? It's something that we need to understand. It's not about how close to the temptation you can get. But actually, if we love God, 
Then it's a question of how far away, how far can we run from the line of temptation so that we're not even close? Because that's what represents our relationship with God. That's the work that we need to do in fighting against temptation. You've got to understand that what the, what the devil offers us, what the world offers us through temptation is not even close to what God offers us. And yet, because we don't see God, we can't see God, we lack faith to believe that. That's why good, good things come from God. We've got to believe that. If you believe that good things come from God, then you're going to run towards God and not run away from Him. But the problem is we struggle to believe that. We believe that good things come from the world. Good things come from pleasure in the world. Good things come from the things that we can see. Good things come from the pride of life. That's why, that's why we fall to these temptations all the time because we believe that what God has to offer and what the world has to offer, that we choose the world. But what Scripture is telling us is this. God is the giver of good things. And yes, temptation itself is not a sin. But temptation is the offer of something that is so crap compared to what God offers us. And you've got to believe that if you want to fight against it. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. That's why Jesus, he could fight it and he could say, I don't need the things of this world. But obviously Jesus was God, right? Now, you and I are never going to get this perfect. You know, I could tell you, you know, if you're new to the church, you know, you'll learn as you continue to come that I think I'm a very honest pastor. And I could tell you that, as I said, this is not the body or the mind of a person that resists temptation a lot and is very good at it. No, actually, it's sort of the other way. I'm actually quite good at falling into temptation. I wish I had the discipline and the control to make better decisions, pre-decisions. And I tell you, it's hard. So many, I'm, I'm sure some of you, most of you have thought this, right? You, there's a temptation in front of you. You're like, God, I'm so sorry, but I just can't help myself. Bang. And then after it, what is it? Regret. God, I'm so sorry. You know, if I ever find myself in this situation, I promise I'll never, never, never do it again. And then what happens? Happens again. And then what happens? It happens again. You know what happens? You stop trying. You, you just stop. You give up. Can I tell you, if that was in marriage, right? The day you give up, that's the end of your marriage. I don't believe that God is desiring for us to be perfect. He knows we can't. But I believe that God desires us still to desire Him. Still to want Him. And to not give up. And there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 10.13, which I hope that would bring some hope to you. And it says this, No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of God. This is not just some self-help book. This is the word of God telling us, number one, every temptation that you go through is not spectacular or extraordinary. It's actually very common. As I said, three major temptation categories, they all fit under there. 
So firstly, know that what you're going through is what other people are going through as well. But secondly, know that God knows. And God is faithful. And He will, and it says, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Meaning, meaning that you can actually fight against this. You can actually fight against the temptations. And God says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. This is the living word of God. This is not a hope. This is the living word of God. And God's saying, hey, even if it gets bad, there's always a way out. There's always a way out. Now, some of us might not be able to find that way out, or some of us, it might be very difficult to find that way out, but there's a way out. And I think this brings so much hope. Because I think without this Bible verse, I think we're, we're just stuffed. We just live our lives falling to temptation after temptation and, and, and we just become so discouraged and then we just, we, we barely make it to heaven and we stand before God and God's like, well, you know, you're pretty, you know, like 4%, you know, success. And you're like, yeah, sorry, God. It was, it was pretty bad. You know, $6, you know, small McChicken meal. Like, what can you do? Like... You know, like, who can, who can resist that? You know, like, you know, two-for-one whoppers. Like, who can resist that, God? Like, that's all devil, right? But the beauty is God knows. And he knows you. And he knows the temptations. And you know what? Each of us has different set of temptations. But God knows. And when you go through it, he will not give you something that you cannot bear, and he will provide a way out. So when you go through temptation, understand, I can go through this and start looking for that door. Start looking for that way out. But God knows, and even when you fail, and you fail, and I fail, we all fail, God knows, and his faithfulness does not give up on us. His faithfulness does not give up on us. So it doesn't matter what you have done in your life. And I, I just want to finish with this. Even in the darkest moments of your life, God is present. And even if you've done things that you are not proud of, even if you have done things or been involved in things or been in situations that, that you, you know, bring so much guilt and shame, God knows already, firstly, because you can't hide anything from God. And the faithfulness of God says that I am not leaving. I am here with you. God is faithful. He is faithful to you. So whatever you go through, whatever the temptations are in your life, know that God is with you. Whether you succeed or fail, he will never leave you. Let's pray.